Thanks for having me this morning, gents. Um, I want to just pray again, but this time I want to ask you to pray for yourself. I have a sense that God wants to speak to some people this morning. And I wonder if you'll just knit your heart with mine and just pray that God will speak to you this morning. Okay, let's, let's just close our eyes and, and you, you say a prayer for yourself that God will speak to you. Lord, I, I knit my heart and my agreement, my amen, with the prayers of each of my brothers here who have asked you in the quietness of their own hearts, Lord, to speak to them this morning. Lord, unless you speak, Lord, Lord there is, there's no penetration of the word into our lives, Lord. So that's what we do pray for for each of us, Lord, to the glory of your name. Amen. So I want to speak about uh, a man called Joshua. And Joshua is kind of, a, kind of a famous guy. and He's the kind of guy that gets a lot of press. We even have a, a church called Joshua Generation in our city. And um, in many ways, Joshua kind of captivates the minds and thinking of people, particularly of men, because he was such a man's man. And I want to think about this morning what it was that accounted for the way Joshua was. What made him the man that he was? There are a few things that we'd probably want to emulate in Joshua's life. This list could be a lot longer if we had more time. But we all know that Joshua was a man of war. He was the man that took over the leadership of Israel after the death of Moses. Moses was disallowed. Uh, entry into the promised land because he had not uh, shown due reverence for God at the water, uh, at, at the, the striking of the rock when the water was brought out of the rock. He was supposed to speak to the rock. And uh, God had chosen Joshua, this, this man, to take over from, from Moses. He was a man who, in his life, he took ground for God. He took ground for the people of God. And... I would assume that you want to do that with your life. You want to take ground for God. And you want to take ground for the people of God. You want your life to count for something. Well, Joshua was just such a man. He was a man who was uh, willing to take risks. He was a busy man. A lot of people are not busy. You see people wasting their lives see them wasting their lives with conversations that shouldn't be happening, with coffee dates that shouldn't be happening, with social engagements that shouldn't be happening. And it starts when you're young and it creeps into life and you see people making excuses all the time about why they can't do this and why they can't do that. And they're paralyzed from making decisions in their life. Well, Joshua wasn't such a man. He wasn't afraid to make decisions. He was a decisive man. So many men are paralyzed with fear. Paralyzed with the fear of making the wrong decision. Paralyzed with, well, maybe this isn't God's will, or maybe I should do something else, or you know, maybe I should wait for a sign. Or, and, and God is actually just sitting back thinking, just do something with your life. 
make decisions. Well, Joshua was such a man. He was willing to make decisions and he was able to make decisions quickly. You can't be a man of war and take ground for God and his people unless you're willing to make decisions. Well, such was Joshua. Jesus said the kingdom of heaven is forcefully advancing and the violent take it by force. There is a a forcefulness and a, a resolution and a courage that informs men who do things for the Lord. Will you be such a man? I know we all want to be. Secondly, um, related to that, Joshua was a man of courage. Joshua was not afraid to step to the very front of the army and lead people, lead other men into the heat of battle. He wasn't afraid to be the first one to stand up and say, this is not going to happen. We are going to lead the charge of God and the, and the charge of God's purposes in our generation. And I will be the first to say what we're going to do and I will lead other men to do it. Will you be such a man? I know we all want to be. He was a man of courage. I know men in this congregation who are like that. Who are not afraid... To be the first one to say, this is where we're going. This is what we're going to do. Who will come with me? And then, among other things we could say about Joshua, he was a man faithful to his word. He was an honorable man. There's two incidents which spring to mind. The first is the the incident of Rahab, the prostitute, He sends two spies into the promised land to Jericho. You know the story. She hides them. She says, the whole land is terrified. We've heard the stories. Swear to me, if I protect you now, that you will protect me. Because we know God has given this whole city over to you. So they say, we'll tie the scarlet cord in your window. Bring all your family into your home and we'll spare your life. And you go and read the account when they take... Uh, Jericho, Joshua himself says to the two spies, he says, go to the house of Rahab the harlot and do as you promised to do. And they bring her out and she becomes one of the people of Israel. In fact, fascinatingly enough, Rahab ends up marrying an Israelite man and they have some kids and one of those kids has some kids and they have kids and you trace the genealogy down and Rahab becomes the great, 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 great grandmother of Jesus Christ. Because of the faithfulness and honor of Joshua. He's an honorable man. He's a man of his word. Will you be a man of your word? We live in a world where people turn on their word like that. There's a verse somewhere in the Old Testament that says, it's in the Psalms. Blessed is the man who swears to his own harm. When you give your word, even if it hurts you to keep your word, you keep your word. Such a man was Joshua. I guess many other things could be said of this man. But I I want to ask, what accounts for this remarkable man? He, He lived one of the most fruitful lives of all human history. You wouldn't be here today if it weren't for Joshua. That promised land was needed for a nation to be built with God's laws functioning. 
so that it could become a kingdom with a king. So that Jesus Christ could come and sit on the throne of that king. So that you could be saved through the king of this nation, of this kingdom. Joshua is a key player in the unfolding plan of God through history. What accounts for the way this man was, his courage, his, his ability to make decisions, his being a man of war, his being resolute, his being honorable, all of these things. And I, I want to just highlight three things that I see in the life of Joshua that I think we can learn from as young men. Hey, John. <clears throat> You include yourself in that group. I know you do. And I do too. Somebody said to me the other day, the youngest person I ever met was 84. The oldest was 64. I thought that was such a good statement. (coughs) Number one, I want to talk about what Joshua read. I want to talk about secondly, where he wasn't. And thirdly, where he was. What he read, where he wasn't, where he was as a young man. Those three things shaped his life. Number one, what he read. You you know what I'm going to tell you. Joshua was there when the law was written. He was there when it was written. Exodus 24, verse 13. This is shortly after the Ten Commandments have been boomed out from heaven at Mount Sinai. All the people heard the voice of God. They were terrified. They said to Moses, you go up the mountain, you get, because we don't want to hear that voice anymore. We're terrified by it. Moses goes up into the mountain. He receives the rest of the law, but often we don't, we don't uh, remember this part of the story, verse 13. So Moses arose with his assistant, Joshua, and Moses went up to the mountain of God. And he's up there 40 days and 40 nights. Joshua's with him. He was there when the law was given to Moses, when the Bible was written essentially, and 40 years later, he was still reading it. Joshua 1 verse 8. It's a favorite verse with people. Worth reading again. This is after God has said to Exodus 24:13. So this is just after God has said to Joshua, "Be strong, be courageous." He says, "This book of the law, this book, Joshua, that you were there when Moses, when I spoke it to Moses, you were there. You were his assistant, and for the last 40 years you've been reading it. Now that you are leading my people." Nothing's changed, Joshua. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth. It was in his mouth already. It shall not depart now that you're leading, but you shall meditate in it day and night so that you may observe to do according to all that's written in it. For then, if you do this, you will make your way prosperous and then you will have good success. That's a great description of what Joshua did with his life. He made his way prosperous and he had good success and he lived a fruitful life. Do you want to live a fruitful life? Do not let the book of the law depart from your mouth. You must be a Bible reader as a young man, and you must never let that discipline leave your life. Are you a Bible reader? So my brothers, I want to encourage you this morning, seek God in His Word. 
And that takes discipline. It takes discipline. And, and every single morning it takes discipline. And 40 years from now, it'll still take discipline. So do you have a discipline of being in the Word of God? You think that your life is pressurized now. John will tell you after a lifetime of serving God, raising a family, being in the professional world, being in the ministry, he will tell you this. You're in the easiest time of your life right now to have disciplines for God. You're not married. You don't have children. You don't have the pressures of a career. You think you're under a lot of pressure at varsity. The pressure only increases from here, gents. While you are young, lay the foundations of a discipline in God's Word. Now, let me just say a quick word about how to read the Bible. It is my very deep conviction that you need to be reading the Bible from Genesis to Revelation. You need to lay a foundation of an understanding and a knowledge of God's total Word. This book does not just contain stories. It is a story. It is an unfolding drama that chronicles God's work through space and time to present His Son with a bride. If you want to know the mind of God, the will of God for the world and within which your life then falls, you have to know the totality of God's work through history. That's why He's given you the whole Bible. Too many Christians have never even read the Bible from Genesis to Revelation once, let alone 20, 30, 40 times as a young man. Well, Joshua was a man of the Bible. Will you be a man of the Bible? I encourage you to be so. Secondly, where he wasn't. Exodus chapter 32 It tells the the story of the the debacle of um, Moses having gone up the mountain to get the Ten Commandments. He comes down with the tablets of stone. And what does he find? Well, the children of Israel have turned from following the Lord. It was only a couple of months before this that they saw the Red Sea part down the middle. And they've heard the voice of God saying... Don't make for yourself an idol, the second of the Ten Commandments. And within that short space of time, they've made a golden calf and they're worshipping it. And they rose up to play, the Bible says. There's this, there's this orgy of dancing and music and probably some kind of alcohol consumption if they had access to alcohol in some way. This orgy of play and idolatrous revelry. And Moses comes down the mountain, and let's just click the pause button on the, on the DVD there and, and, and ask ourselves a question, where is Joshua in all of this? And we've kind of already seen the answer. If you go to Exodus 32, verse 17, who's with Moses as they come down the mountain and commenting on the sound of this music that they hear? But Joshua, when Joshua heard the noise of the people as they shouted... He said to Moses, there is the noise of war in the camp. Moses, of course, says, that's not the the noise of war. That's not the shout of victory or the noise of, of defeat, but that's the sound of singing, of revelry. So Joshua, he was not 
where the people were enjoying the pleasures of this world. He's at the cold face of serving God, of serving the purposes of God. Where He was where God was working. He was serving the mediator of God's people. He was giving the best years of his youth to serving God and being where God was working, not with the crowd, with all of their enjoyments. He was serving God with all his heart, mind, soul, and strength as a young man. And I want to ask you, are you doing that? Are you serving God with all your heart? Or are you found in the crowd that's playing and dancing while other people are are busy with the work of the Lord? Where are you? What, What environments are you in? Because... There is a party, guys, going on in our generation as there was in Exodus 32. There's a big party happening. There's music, there's girls, there's dancing, there's alcohol, there's fun, there's laughter, there's popularity, there's fitting in with the crowd. And everybody is there. Everyone's there. It's the exceptional young man who's not there. Everybody's there that day, singing, dancing, rising up to play. But who's not there? Joshua's not there. Are you seeking the things of this world and the enjoyments of this world as a young man? Or are you seeking first the kingdom of God and all his righteousness so that all these other things will be added to you? In God's way and in God's time. There are environments, my brothers, where you have no place being. There are places where you have... No right to spend time. There are wrong places. Part of Joshua's success was that when he was a young man, he was not found in the wrong places. And my brothers, I want to ask you this morning to seek God by not being found in the wrong places. I don't have to tell you what that means. You know what that means. And maybe God is speaking to someone here this morning that you're spending too much time in the wrong places. Seek God by not being in the wrong places. Thirdly, where he was. So what he read, where he wasn't, now where he was. In Exodus 32, we read of this debacle. They come down the mountain. The people have turned their backs on God. God judges the people. And then, as a consequence of that, the following discussion happens between Moses and God. God's people, the covenant people, have broken the covenant. God has every right to destroy them. Then the Lord said to Moses, Depart and go up from here, you and the people whom you have brought out of the land of Egypt, and go to the land which I swore to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, saying to your descendants, I will give it. So God has already agreed in the previous verses that he won't destroy the people because Moses interceded for them. Now God graciously says, Okay, You've been here around Mount Sinai. They were at Sinai for about 10 months. You've been here too long. I want you to depart now and and head towards the promised land that I'm going to give to you because I swore it to give it to your descendants. And I will send my angel before you. Now, this is bad news. I will send my angel before you. And I will drive out the Canaanites, the Amorites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, the Jebusites. Go up to the land flowing with milk and honey for I will not go up in your midst. 
lest I consume you on the way, for you are a stiff-necked people. The people of Israel, in that ten months, they were in the presence of God Himself. There was a pillar of cloud or fire at night that used to come down on the tabernacle and the very presence of God was in their midst. Now the tabernacle was in the center of the camp. The presence of God Himself, visible presence was there. And there He would speak to Moses face to face. But now God says, I'm no longer going to go with you. My presence cannot be in your midst anymore. Because you are a stiff-necked people, instead I will send my angel before you. For the Lord had said to Moses, say to the children of Israel, you are a stiff-necked people. I could come up into your midst in one moment and consume you. Now therefore, take off your ornaments, that I may know what to do to you. So they've got all this gold and silver and earrings, and they'd actually made the golden calf out of earrings. The very gifts that God had given them. Ask from the Egyptians all of their treasures before you leave Egypt. And the Egyptians were so terrified of the Israelites by this point, they just gave them all their jewelry. Does anybody know? What was that jewelry actually for? What was God's plan for it? That's right. Say it, Carl. Yeah. The, the, the tabernacle, to start with, was going to be adorned with... Much of the jewelry and clothing and things that they got given by the Egyptians. It was for God's glory what they'd been given. Instead, they're wearing it because it's beautiful and now they've got this whole flashy lifestyle. They're making an idol out of the things that God's given them. So God says to them, just take, take all of that stuff off. It's not for you. It's for me. It's for my glory. What has God given you? That you're flaunting and actually it's for his glory. He says, so the children of Israel, they stripped themselves of their ornaments at Mount Horeb. And Moses took his tent. He took his tent and he pitched it outside the camp. See, see Moses loved the presence of God. He, he, he would rather be outside the camp and with God than in the camp without God. He says, fine, God, if, you don't, if, you, if your presence will not be in the camp of this people, then I'm going outside the camp. Takes his tent, he pitches it outside the camp, and he called it the tabernacle of meeting. And it came to pass that everyone who sought the Lord went out to the tabernacle of meeting, which was outside the camp. So it was, whenever Moses went out to the tabernacle, that all the people rose, and each man stood at his tent door and watched Moses until he had gone out to the tabernacle. And it came to pass when Moses entered the tabernacle that that pillar of cloud descended. There was the presence of God and it stood at the door of the tabernacle, at the tabernacle and the Lord talked with Moses. There's the presence of God. All the people saw the pillar of cloud standing at the tabernacle door and all the people rose and worshipped each man in his tent door. So the, the problem of God's presence was denied. The tent gets moved outside the camp. And I want to read to you um, what one commentator says about verse 7. How that if anybody wanted to seek God in those days, he had to then go outside the camp to that tabernacle of meeting. This is a guy called R. Allen Cole in the Tyndale commentary series. It says, to seek the presence of God for guidance. Do you need that? Or prayer or praise, or 
to express one's devotion by sacrifice. To seek the presence of God, a man had to separate himself from his own people. But once here, outside the encampment, there was the possibility of fellowship with God. And that of a close and unique nature. That is a brilliant piece of commentary. See, it's not just about where we are not. It's about where we are. It's about separating ourselves from a crowd. And, and going to the place where we can have this, this, this fellowship outside the camp with God of a close and unique nature. Do you want fellowship with God of a close and unique nature? I'm, I'm telling you guys, this is one of the keys to living a fruitful, successful life where you take ground for God. That as a young man, you're going to have to find places where you have fellowship with God of a close and unique nature. And that's not going to happen with the crowd. That's going to happen outside the camp. See, it's not just about where you're not. It's not just about separating yourself to live some ascetic lifestyle and denying yourself all the pleasures that your peers, more broadly speaking, are enjoying. It's not just about separating yourself and saying no to some things. The point is to separate yourself from the things of this world so that you go out and have fellowship in the presence of God Himself. It's about what you go to, not about what you separate yourself from. Seek the presence of God, my brothers. Douglas Stewart, another commentator, said this. Moses moving the tent of meeting outside the camp forced individual Israelites to show their dependence on Yahweh. In contrast to their prior infidelity in the incident of idolatry described in the previous chapter. To inquire of the Lord, an Israelite had to separate himself spatially from the other Israelites in the camp. And openly walk the considerable distance to the tent of meeting. He thus would not be able to blend into the crowd of orthodox worshippers without identifying his own personal commitment to Yahweh. You know, it is so easy, especially when there's a somewhat of a revival and there are many young men as yourselves, cool young guys, popular young guys, who are now going to youth or going to um, church together on a Sunday or you've got a Bible study or you've got a men's camp that you're going to. One of the dangers of a successful young person's ministry is, that, and actually not just young people, old people too, that as it becomes cool to become a Christian, you can blend in with the Orthodox worshippers without identifying your own personal commitment to Yahweh. And what this guy is saying, one of the benefits of Moses taking that tabernacle of, of meeting and pitching it outside the tent was it forced people to separate themselves visibly, publicly from the crowd and be identified as someone who is seeking God on his own. He continues, in virtually all other situations, the Israelites en masse had agreed to obey or disobey the covenant. Now, the individual would have to show his loyalty to Yahweh publicly, at least if he wanted to know something from Yahweh. You want to know something from Yahweh? 
Do you want the touch of God on your life? Do you want the power of God coursing through the work of your hands? Do you want to take ground for God with your life? Do you want to bear much fruit? You're going to have to separate yourself from the crowd as a young man and you're going to have to be willing to go out and be publicly seen to be seeking the presence of God yourself. Are you doing that? And I want to show you that Joshua was doing exactly that. There's one more verse to read. The previous verse had said that everyone stayed in their, at, in their tents in the camp. When Moses was out there at the tabernacle, they'd stay there, but they'd worship at their doors. They were showing reverence, but I want to show you what this young man Joshua did. So the Lord spoke to Moses face to face as a man speaks to his friend, and he would return to the camp after speaking to God, and that cloud would come down, he'd speak to God face to face. But his servant Joshua, the son of Nun, a young man, did not depart from the tabernacle. Verse 11, 33, 11. He did not depart from the tabernacle. Joshua turned his whole back on, 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 he turned his back on the whole popularity thing, what all the other young men were doing, what all the nation was doing, even what was acceptable religiously to do, to stand at your, at your tent door and, and worship when Moses went out there. Joshua turned his back on it as a young man and he said, I want the presence of God. And he took his little tent and he pitched it out there next to the tent of meeting. And he said, this is where I want to be. Let me tell you what made Joshua such a remarkable adult. Such a remarkable leader and older man. Because he was such a remarkable young man. Will you be a remarkable young man? 70 years at the end of... Joshua's life he was still doing the same 70 years later he was doing what he had been doing as a young man he, he, his foundations of strength and resolve and looseness from the things of this world and from people's opinions and popularity and all of that, the, the foundations had been laid as a young man so that when the whole nation backslid 70 years later, having conquered the promised land, taken all of their enemies, etc., at 110 years old, Joshua is found saying those famous words when the whole nation begins to backslide. He says, if it seems evil to you to serve the Lord, choose yourselves this day whom you will serve, whether the gods which your fathers served there on the other side of the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. You want to backslide, you go ahead and backslide. But as for me and my house, we are going to serve the Lord. You want to be that kind of man when you're old. You want to run this race well for God like Paul and say, I have run the race, I've finished it, and now there is waiting for me the crown of glory. The crown of righteousness is going to be given. You want to have that kind of life. Lay the foundations well when you are a young man. See, Joshua understood what the writer of the Hebrews still says to us today. For the bodies of those animals whose blood is brought into the sanctuary by the high priest for sin are burned outside the camp. That was Levitical law. Those animals that were burnt were sacrificed. Parts of those animals, the innards, etc., were taken outside and burned outside the camp. Therefore, 
Jesus also, that he might sanctify the people with his own blood, suffered outside the gate. Calvary was outside the city gates. Therefore, let us go forth to him outside the camp, bearing his reproach. For here we have no continuing city, but we seek the one to come. My brothers, seek God. Men who take ground for God in their short lives, and our lives are very short. Men who take ground with their short lives are not born in a day. They seek God while they're young. I know God can make exceptions to that and save the workers in the vineyard in the 11th hour and send them into the vineyard. I understand all that. This is a 